0: it's pretty interesting to be in a place where we're not doing the who is my neighbor we've done that the whole summer and this is something new and we have coming up uh, a new series in the um, in a couple of weeks that will start that have to do with god's promises and so we have that to anticipate but in the meantime today we're going to look at some a particular scripture in first corinthians Uh, Three verses 5 through 16. Hear these words this day. May may your mind be open and your heart hold them. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and each will receive wages according to their own labor. For we are God's co workers working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each builder choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw the work of each builder will become visible for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that someone has built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a wage. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? May God grant us understanding of these words this day, the word of God for the people of God. So this is Labor Day weekend. You know, I'm wondering how we got here. Seemed like I blinked and the summer was over. Not that I mind the changing of seasons, I really don't. I'm kind of a creature of the sun, so I'm not looking forward to the dark dankness of of winter. But you know, it seems like when fall comes around, I'm ready. I'm ready for the change that comes. I'm ready to not have to water my plants. I'm ready for those things. And so here we are in fall. So I'm going to ask you a a question. What was your very first job? Babysitting? A which factory? A corn factory. Anybody else have their very first job? Domino's Pizza. Okay. Well, you know, I I did that babysitting piece when I was quite a bit younger. But um, when I was 14, I got hired as an usherette in the local theater. That's what they called it. And here's the deal. They weren't supposed to hire you until you were 15. So I really think that Mr. Lussie, the owner, kind of fudged my birth date on the paperwork so that he could hire me. And I went all through high school. And um, I learned so much. He was, a, he was an older man, at least we thought he was <laughs> older at that point, um, who really got teenagers And his whole goal was to give teenagers an opportunity to get job skills that they could take forward into life. And so, you know, over the course of years, he hired hundreds of teenagers to do that. And um, the theater still stands, and it's run by his um, Beautiful... Silk, silk and velvet, curtains, murals on the wall. Is that called, you know, it came out of France, Joe, the the whole decor, the family migrated here from France. So art deco, does that sound like a kind of a style? I mean, it was just beautiful. And of course, um, one of the perks, which was what got me there in the first place, is that you you go to free movies. And so for teenagers, that's a big deal. But we also worked really hard. So I worked at the theater. I got a lot of skills. Alongside that, I did some work with a caterer, and that's where I learned how to wait on tables and that kind of thing. Um, After high school, I became a ranch hand on my grandfather's ranch. Hardest work I've ever done. I would say that that probably was the work that built resilience in my soul. Because we worked from 5 in the morning to 10 at night, driving tractors and carrying sprinkler pipe. It was hard, physical labor. While I was in college, I did a lot of things because I put myself through college. And so I, uh, I was a waitress in a tourist trap in Montana until I became their cook. I became their cook because their cook was horrible. And I refused to serve what this cook had put on the plate because it was really, you know, pancakes are not supposed to be soggy in the middle. And so, um, so I made him stand to the side, and I went to the grill, and I cooked. I was pretty arrogant back then. I cooked the meal and then served it, and then the owners went, oh, you can cook. So I was a fry cook um, for a while. Um, I also worked for Big Brothers and Sisters for a while. I was a gas station attendant for a while. That's an interesting job. Um, I worked as an associate pastor, a youth pastor. Um, I was a media specialist for several years for a college. I worked in Indiana. I worked for Head Start. I directed daycare centers here in Oregon when we moved back. I was a kindergarten teacher. I was an administrative assistant. I was a pastor. And then I became an interim pastor. So you can kind of see that journey. And each time, it built on the foundation of what I had before. And I became stronger and more resilient and more able to do what I do. I... I Take this list, and I know that this list is why I am who I am today. Doing the things that I do today. I mean, sure, I have education in there, too, and I have those kind of things, but those practical skills, those foundational skills, meant a whole lot. And, you know... I would venture to say that all of us have had some kinds of career changes or job changes as we've grown from the time we're younger to, to whatever we are right now. I found it interesting that the statistics show that, that, um, that we actually change jobs 12 to 13 times in our lifetime. I beat that. Um, with that list, because that doesn't list all of them. But 12 to 13 times in a lifetime, we change what we do. Now, for some people, they may do the same job um, their whole life, but some of us do a lot of changing as we go along. So today, as we're looking at the scripture, we're going to look a little bit at what is Labor Day and how, how it came to be. The first Labor Day was celebrated on Tuesday, September 5th, 1882 in New York City. Um, Those plans were put together by the Central Labor Union, um, and then it had um, its second Labor Day a year later, which was also September 5th. By 1894, other states took up this this um, Labor Labor Day idea and it was adopted as a holiday on June 28, 1894 um, by President um, Grover Cleveland. It was signed into a law that the first Monday in September would be a national holiday celebrating the laborers. Interesting. So we look at that and um, we think about this this time set aside for the workers, the everyday workers. Because I think we, those that have fame, those that have high-powered jobs, get a lot of attention. But the everyday people, the cooks, the cleaners, the pianists, the, the, the ones who genitors who clean our building. You know, those kind of people, they don't get a lot of thanks in what they do. Brenda, I so appreciate you. I bet that every person in this room would say the same thing. So, you know, as we look at that thing, then we have that backdrop to look at the scripture today. And I found something absolutely fascinating you know, most translations started start out that scripture with who is Apollos and who is Paul. But this one said what? This is the new kind of revised, updated, new revised standard version. And I thought, why does it say what instead of who? So being me, kind of geeky that I am, I went back to the Greek, and guess what? The word is actually what. It's not who, it's what. So what is Apollo? What is Paul? Not their personality or their identity, but what do they do? And it makes sense when you look at the rest of the scripture, when, they, when they're talking about Uh, The idea of being servants. What is Paul? What is Apollos? They are servants of God. What is Portsmouth Union Church? Servants of God. Doesn't that make an incredible amount of sense? That it's that that is our identity is in that foundation and not who we think we are. So if we are servants of God, what does God call us? Beloved, child. Kind of getting that that idea of that foundation that that our, our whole being is on. So it's not about really a single person, but it's more about a community. And so um, here's what we know about kind of that, the church at Corinth at the time of this writing. um, Paul was trying to set them straight on a few matters of theology. He was also writing to guide them. As they um, as they figured out what it meant to be the church in that first century in Corinth, um, the Corinthians were really proud of their knowledge of their wisdom. Um, the very beginning of the this letter to Corinthians talks about. Um, Paul, uh, letters to them, has strong words warning against seeking earthly wisdom rather than God's wisdom. So that that kind of wisdom thing. There There were this group of people that kind of, there were schisms in the church. There were those who took pride, and the word is pride, in who they followed. So there were Apollo's group of people, and there were Paul's group of people, and they were they were having this, you know, we're more important to you because we followed Apollo's. If you look at the first few chapters of First Corinthians, it's all about kind of that division that happened because they were concerned about who they followed rather than whose they were. Do you get that difference? They were God's children. But they were more concerned about who the head guy was, and it wasn't God. It was Apollos or Paul. And so they had this, this ongoing argument and, so, and discord in there. And, you know, here's the deal I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack because we too look for the charismatic leader. We do. We look at the church history in the last millennia. And, the, and people flock to those who have charisma. You know, uh, one of my um, sources uh, referenced Jim Jones. The people that flocked to Jim Jones and followed him to their death, they were following Jim Jones. And... And so I think that um, there's a real danger to putting a person on a pedestal or a pastor on a pedestal. You know, there are so many churches that I've served where there's been a, a group of people that leave when the pastor leave because they're attached to the pastor and not the church. Paul would have something to say about that. You know, He's talking about they are servants, and the foundation that we should be following is what? Is God. And the way God loves all people. And so there's this whole kind of backdrop in conversation here where Paul is really trying to get them to see that it's not about him. That he is actually a a servant, a spokesperson, a leader from God. Now, it's okay to like your pastor. I'm not saying that. It's okay to like that. But the connection you have with the community needs to be with the community and not with the pastor. Hard to do. I'll repeat it's okay to love your pastor. That's absolutely okay. However, understanding why you're here, having buy-in on the mission and identity of the church is so much more than the pastor. In disciple circles, which I'm a disciples of Christ, we talk a lot about the ministry of all believers. You know, you have a pastor, and you're all the, everyone else are ministers alongside that pastor. It's because that's that community piece. You know, we all have a call on our hearts. And it's not just to one person. I love that that at the end of this passage. That Paul talks about us being at the temple. You know, he does that whole thing where he's talking about um, he's talking about being a field, and he's talking about being a um, a building. You know, he's a master builder. They're talking about all those things. He's talking about things that the people he's talking to can understand. And then he says something in verse 16 that's pretty amazing. He talks about being at the temple, that you are the temple. You are the building. And the master builder provides for you what you need. Now, I have to tell you, I know far more about building than I ever wanted to know. Um, Since arriving here a little over a year ago, Um, far more. But seeing what's happening over there, seeing things be completed just stirs up my soul because I'm thinking about the people who will be moving into there and the neighbors that will be able to serve. There's that word again. So these people in Corinth really needed to figure out that it wasn't about Apollos and it wasn't about Paul, but it was about the master builder, the one who comes and gives. It's about God, it's not about a charismatic leader, but it's about each person being called. So the second part of this message is you know, understanding that how we build, how we plant, what we do matters. And so Paul kind of gives us how to guide in this scripture. Um, first, Paul writes, according to the grace God has given me, like a master builder, It's that according to the grace God has given me. Who has given Paul what he needs then to do what he does? God. And recognizing that all that comes from God um, is recognizing the mighty work that God does within each of us. And then he goes on to talk about Christ being the foundation. To kind of focus our attention on Christ and not on whoever we decide is our leader. It's building that foundation where everything we do and say is motivated by love. In Exodus, God Goes by Moses and say, and talks about loving kindness, the very nature of God being hased, hased is loving kindness. It's ag- agape kind of love, and so Christ is the example, the leader, the one who's showing us how to be loving in this way, and then also Paul is talking about living and working together in unity. In other words, Laura, what you do and what Brenda does and what Joe does and and Tiffany and Justin and Karen and on and on and on. I could name each of your names. I could name the people that are watching us online. What you do isn't in a vacuum. We're all working together for the betterment of this community. And not just that, not just this community, but the world that God has created. We have our little corner of the world right here. But it makes a difference in the whole universe, the whole world. Also, Paul is talking to the people in Corinth in his writings about being spirit-filled. That the Spirit can lead. And some people are uncomfortable talking about inviting the Spirit into a place, but you know what? The Spirit is already here. Already here, surrounding us, leading us, guiding us. And that our wisdom, Paul's other point, needs to come as the wisdom of God and not on our own understanding. How many of you um, think you know a lot? I just spent the afternoon yesterday with my four grandchildren, and I've decided I don't know much. Um, They are brilliant. And loving and kind. And they might sock each other at the same time. And I'm thinking, you know, we're asked to be like a child. And their wonder, Hudson found a crab leg on the beach. And he decided he needed to give it a funeral. And so he dug a deep hole and he he put... Put it in there. I don't know where he's you know, gotten that idea, but then he said, It's done. Amen. (laughs) The wisdom of children, the heart of God, the love of the Father for God's children, all of them. and the community of believers and I'm not saying what you have to believe but everyone believes in something the community of believers founded in love is exactly what this world needs I wish I wish you could see yourselves, see this congregation as I see this congregation. I wish you could just be in my brain for just a minute. Because what I see is not a few people sitting in the pews and a few people doing work. I see everyone, everyone building community, however that is, whether they're right here on Sunday morning, or joining us online, or going to a home group, or, or just helping in other ways, giving money, or doing the pantry, or making lunch. or you, Do you see what I'm saying? That it's the whole community that I see. And in the next months, you'll be choosing a, a permanent pastor. And in that time, I will become less so that they can become more. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But the thing is, because I can see you the way I see you, I know that you are going to thrive. I know that the ministry that has begun here, begun way before me. is going to continue forward because each of us labors in our own way. We do. We do. In different times, different seasons of our life, we might do it differently. Maybe we can't do the things in person that we used to do. Maybe we don't have the physical energy to do what we did five years ago. Or maybe we're coming into our own where we have that energy. I'm waiting for that. No. Actually, I love the things I do. I love the life that I lead. I get tired sometimes. I bet you get tired sometimes as well. My guess is that as people, as kindred spirits, as followers of Christ, called to do what we do, that everything we do is enough. That's my guess. And it makes a difference in the world now and the world in the future. So on this Labor Day weekend, I'd like you to remember you are and whose you are, and that God blesses what we do, and that we're really complex people and we do all kinds of things, that God has built us not just for us, but for the world that God has created. God. Our strength and our redeemer. The one who calls us to our work. The one who equips us for our work. God, we invite you to use us to change your world. One step at a time. One breath at a time. With love as our foundation. God, we know that there's no stopping what we can do in your name. Amen.